Jerome. Short. Back tap. Diakite. A race for it. Into the hands of Clark. Got a chance to win it here. Up the front. Here's Diakite for the win. And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. I am joined, as always, by Jason Gibbs. Jason, how are we doing this Sunday night? Absolutely lovely, Dan. Historic day, action-packed episode. Can't wait to get to it. So the intro you just heard was Dikite hitting that buzzer beater, and that will is a little foreshadowing for our top five segment we'll get to later some people submitted things on twitter to categories for us to rank the top fives on one of them was buzzer beaters so we will get to that but before we do something that does not have to do with the acc but we will relate to the acc phil mickelson who i don't follow golf clearly that much I did not realize he was still going but clearly he is became the oldest major champion ever Jason yeah what a day I mean uh whether you follow golf or not it was at least uh you know it was burning up Twitter people were cheering for Phil obviously a crowd favorite and uh, the guys that he beat I mean some guys were like in the 1800s so it was uh, as far as the uh, oldest to ever win a, a major championship. So really hats off to him. Maybe one of the most impressive golf feats of all time. I know Tiger won the Masters at 44, but Phil's in his 50s. I think he's 50. He turns 51 next month. That is quite impressive, especially uh, coming off of last year and really hats off to him. So the reason I brought this up was not to have a 30-minute episode about PGA, but um, you know, this is not the only old time legend that has won a title this year. Tom Brady done the same thing. So basically my point is in the sports world, age is kind of, I mean, some people just defy those, that factor and are able to do it regardless. Now, factoring this into the ACC, I mean, we have Mac Brown, a coach in his seventies, right? We have Coach K, same thing in basketball in the ACC. I mean, do either of them potentially win another title before their careers end? Yeah, maybe this is the year where we turn back the hands of time. Like you said, we started out with Tom Brady. Now we have Phil Mickelson. Obviously, UNC is going to be ranked high to start the year in football. Mac Brown leading the charge. Coach K is going to have probably a top five, you know, maybe top 10 team, depending on, on where things shake out. So they're going to be a contender right off the bat. Really, it's going to be – it's kind of amazing, you know, as as we've progressed, careers are getting longer and longer, people are taking care of themselves, and just so much goes into it. So, yeah, maybe this is the year. And then as far as Coach K goes, I mean, we've already discussed this last episode or maybe it was the episode before, but basically we always, you know, Duke has a very good preseason team talent-wise. And the problem is that's not not the first time in recent history that that's been the case. And all those times in recent history, they've kind of disappointed, whether it's the postseason or being second fiddle in the ACC. But 
still, there's definitely Coach K in the championship talks, his team this year. So some old-time legends just, you know, like I said, age is just not a factor for them. They just defy the odds. Yeah, what about a, what about a shout-out for our guy uh, um, from Miami, the punter? So not yeah. So as far as college standards are concerned, <laughs> he's definitely an old man. As far as sports standards, not as much. But yeah, Lou Headley, I believe he's 28 years old at this point. Punter for Miami, one of the better punters in the country. The entire beginning of his adult life was playing in Australia football league. So very yeah. Maybe he wins the. Uh... What's the, the Ray Guy Award? Ray Guy, back to yeah. back winners because we had Presley Harvin, our other punter, our other <laughs> beloved punter, win last year. That's right. And while we're on the topic of Miami, how about the ageless Frank Gore? 38 years old at running back. Though They usually have a shelf life to at most 30 years old. 38 years old, still going strong. Free agent right now, but there are teams interested in him. He is still looking for a job. I don't think – so he's from Miami in terms of college. I don't think he actually played in the ACC. I think they – I don't think Miami was in the ACC yet at that point, but still they're an ACC team now, so worth giving him a shout-out as well And we're talking about old-time legends. Yeah, we're, I mean, you think about Frank Gore, and like you mentioned, their running back shelf life is, is pretty low, especially today in the NFL. It's a passing league, and you don't even need a running back to win a Super Bowl. And you have Frank Gore, and he's, he's uh, towing the line of being able to play in the league with his son, which would be unbelievable. I, yeah, Frank Gore Jr., I might miss him by like a year because I think Frank Gore Jr. is going to be a 2023 prospect. I think he was a freshman last year. What was he, like Southern Miss or something? Yeah, I think so, yep. So that would be, that would be pretty cool. Ageless wonder, Frank Gore hanging on. <laughs> I think it would be the first time a, a father and a son, at least I can think of, played in the same league at the same time. And to be a running back in football to do that, that would be pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, in, in football, definitely. Um, baseball, it's happened a few times. But baseball, obviously, you can com- compete when you're much older than the sort of grind of the NFL. Well, in baseball, yeah, there's – even if they're not at the same time, there's so many second generation players, third generation players, superstars right now, but that, yeah, that's that with when it comes to old time legends, but on to the topic of our episode. So yeah, we asked on Twitter on my AC content on my ACC content page. I asked to give us some categories for top fives in order to discuss on the podcast. And the first one I'm going to give, to you jason is from six rings john on twitter he asked about the top five rivalries intra acc so it has to be an acc team versus an acc team i will give you flexibility i will let you do football or basketball you could kind of mix and match yeah so i mean if if we do both i think clearly without a doubt it would be unc duke basketball i think that's not just one of the best basketball rivalries in the ACC it's in the country it's one of the best rivalries in all of sport so I'm going to go with UNC Duke basketball from my number one spot 
For number two, I'm going to zoom back a little bit. And while this rivalry hasn't necessarily lived up to the height recently, I'm going to go with Florida State and Miami in football. I know there's been so many times, especially when when both teams were at the top of the rankings across the country, you know, the game between them would would really shape who was going to play for the national title. If Florida State won, a lot of times they went on to play for the title. Or if Miami won, the same thing. So that's what I'm going to say for my number two. Um, for number three, I'm actually going to go with Virginia Tech and Virginia in football, you know, those both teams really just can't stand each other, you know, and even even in a down year, even if one of the teams is having a down year, if as long as they can pull out that win, that rivalry uh, victory kind of makes the whole year, it makes everything uh, worth it and they can kind of hold it over the other rivals head for a year, especially on Twitter, everyone can talk trash, etc. So I'm going Virginia Tech, Virginia football for my number three. For my number four, I'm actually going to go with NC State, UNC football. I know they haven't necessarily competed for national titles like uh, Miami and Florida State have in the past. But oftentimes, at least one of the teams ranked, maybe sometimes both, you know, in the low uh, teens or 20s. And, you know, Russell Wilson, when he was quarterback for NC State, you know, they had some good years. When Butch Davis was head coach at UNC, they had some good years, kind of always going back and forth. Um, I remember Gio Bernard returned a punt against NC State and won the game for the Tar Heels, and, and their fans were going crazy. And then other times, NC State's pulled it out. Their fans are going crazy. So really just a just a, a great rivalry for football that might be a little bit under the radars on, on the national scale. And for my number five, I'm going to turn it way back. I'm going to go an old Big East matchup that's now in the ACC, but I'm going to go Boston College and Syracuse in basketball. You know, all those old Big East games, you see all the old highlights, the the um, footage is, is kind of fuzzy and all the great old commentators and just kind of a, a fun one like kind of throughout the years. And never really any any love loss between the two teams, and that's kind of following through to the ACC. Yeah, so I I definitely agree with your number one, Duke and UNC, obviously. Um, I mean, it's a little bit bold, I think, to say at this point, Florida State and Miami over UVA, Virginia Tech, but I completely understand because historically, FSU and Miami would dominate that rivalry, especially considering the fact that Virginia Tech had beat UVA 15 years in a row up until recently. So there's that. But the last three games between UVA and Virginia Tech have been fantastic. Uh, number four, NC State, UNC. I mean, NC State – I'm sorry, UNC fans will deny that's a rivalry, but it most certainly is. Like you bring, <laughs> bringing back the old Big East and something – I mean, sometimes rivalries just emerge out of absolutely nowhere, meaning like there's no other reason – geographically historically or anything but just think about like this definitely doesn't make the top five but I just think it was hilarious how Pitt and NC State this year in basketball just both games almost got into brawls and oh yeah I think that's true. gonna be between uh <laughs> between 
yeah, those two teams in that in the coming years are is going to be a huge yeah. rivalry for whatever reason hmm. between Keats and uh, Capel. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, well, we'll get to Capel later. Foreshadowing. <laughs> but anyway, what's mine? What's mine? My first one. We're gonna go with our friend of the pod, Griffin. Uh, wanted you to take on uh, ACC football coaches top five ACC football coaches all right so I mean number one Dabo Sweeney I don't have to discuss that number two that's also not that much debatable Mac Brown from UNC I mean he's the only other one with titles in his background and the one that's bringing his team to a top 10 stage in the preseason next year I mean Getting Sam Howell is really what it was all about, but he's also, I mean, he turned around that program quickly. So it's not just historically that Mac Brown has been great. I mean, we talked about him. He's an old time legend that's still got it in his seventies. So Mac Brown, number two. And then basically when you're ranking ACC football coaches, three through like 14, the entire rest of the way is so debatable, but here's going to be mine. Number three, Jeff Halfley from Boston College. That's, I mean, I know that's going to be bold, but I, and it's not really much about the results, him bringing Boston College to a 500 season last year, but I just love him. I love what he did with his NFL teams. He's a very progressive mind. And I think whenever he brings Boston College to moderate success, he's going to get hired away by potentially an SEC school. So, I, I'm, I'd invest my stock in Jeff Halfley in the future. Number four, Bronco Mendenhall, because, I mean, he brought UVA out of the dumpster fire too. What he was able to do is – so the story about Bronco Mendenhall, you know, he was winning 10 games consistently at BYU. Then he's like, you know, I'm getting bored of this. Let's go east and let's go to the worst Power 5 school I could think of <laughs> – and just have fun trying to rebuild them, establish a culture, give myself a challenge. That's exactly what he's done. He's been successful at that. So hopefully the facilities could kind of keep up with how good of a coach he is. Number four, Bronco Mendenhall. And then number five, Dave Clawson, because Wake Forest, a small school, not really a prototypical power conference school, but he consistently brings Wake to – above average seasons in the ACC. So he's going to be a number five in the ACC, despite his recruiting, he's a great developer, great in-game coach, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, that's a great list. I, I agree with you. Totally. First two are pretty rock solid. And then the rest is going to get very debatable, but you know, to your point about Clawson, if you just compared kind of the recruit rankings to how they finish every year, and you've mentioned this on uh, past award-winning podcasts that, really just kind of overachieve seemingly every year. So I like that list. Thank you. Um, your next one, this is something that you are very, very adept to. So this is why I gave this one to you. Buzzer <laughs> beaters, top five buzzer beaters, but we're going to narrow this down to ACC winners, but I'll give you all time. So top five buzzer beaters of all time involving ACC winners or top. Okay. Yeah. So this would, uh, this, we're obviously talking about March Madness here. We're talking about ACC winners. I, I took a couple things into consideration uh, 
the stage of the game as far as a score being tied or if a deficit and difficulty. So number one, I'm going to put Christian Leitner against Duke. You know, Duke down one needs to go the length of the court in I think 1.1 seconds. Leitner catches a double teamed turnaround jumper, nothing but net, sends Duke to the Final Four and eventually national title. So just with the level of difficulty and what it meant, and obviously that's gonna that goes down as one of the greatest games, if not the greatest game of all time. Maybe usurped by the Gonzaga UCLA game this year. I don't know. That's debatable. Uh, for number two, I'm actually going to go with NC State's game winner versus Houston in the national championship game. So, you know, the game was tied. Um, deep three came up short, laid it in for the winner. Valvano's running around the court like a madman. NC State wins it all. That's going to be my number two over uh, – <clears throat> I'm sorry, under Leitner. For number three, I'm actually going to go with, and you know, you mentioned that we foreshadowed it to begin the to begin the pod. I'm going with Diakite's game tying buzzer beater to send it to overtime against Purdue for UVA during their title run a couple years back. The biggest thing with that, about this one was after the missed free throw, Kihei Clark had to run it down and. There's a freeze frame you can find it on the internet, easy Google, where Clark is so far away from Diakite and he has to make a perfect pass. Diakite has to catch it in rhythm and, and hit a mid-range jumper. Just the level of difficulty is off the charts. So I got them at number three. Number four, I'm sure Duke fans will be happy about this. Non-Duke fans won't, won't be happy about this, but I'm going with Christian Leitner's other buzzer beater, but this was against UConn to send Duke to the final four. And I've seen old interviews with Leitner where he mentioned how he couldn't believe he hit not one buzzer beater, but two buzzer beaters in March Madness in big time games and to send his team to the final four, just really kind of an incredible feat for anyone. And then number five, I'm going to, only reason this is a little asterisk, tiniest of asterisk by this one, is I'm going to say Luke May's shot versus Kentucky. And the only reason it's an asterisk is technically it wasn't a buzzer beater. There was a they had to put a few tenths of a second left on the clock, but really an incredible shot that sent UNC to the Final Four, and then they obviously went on to to win the national title. But I always I'll, this is a fun stat about that one is. That was actually the last basket Luke made the entire tournament. Uh, so it's just kind of a, a funny thing that his last basket uh, ends up sending him to the final four and eventually the title. So am I correct that all five of those were eventual title winners? Yes. Yeah, you are. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I mean, hey, because shots shots matter like that, you know. When it, when it when the game's on the line and they they come up with a buzzer beater and it it sends them eventually the title, it's gonna boost that buzzer beater over time in in importance. Because everybody remembers how the season ended, right? So if you know you had a you had a big buzzer beater in let's say the Sweet Sixteen, but then a devastating loss in the Final Four, 
everyone's going to remember the final four. It won't be as remembered as like the sweet 16 buzzer beater, unless you're like, you know, some sort of mid-major, which we're not talking about, but there are plenty of mid-major buzzer beaters that they're, national championship equivalent for a power school would be like going to the elite eight or the sweet 16. So I even think about it, you know, when I, when I see Twitter beef between, you know, Kentucky fans or UNC fans, 100% of the time UNC fans are going to pull out the gif of Luke May. (laughs) And it's like, they're still, you know, lording it over the Kentucky fans. This is kind of funny. So Twitter arguments are just so predictable, man, when it comes to college (laughs) sports. (laughs) <laughs> that that they are <laughs> Dan how about uh top five commentators uh, but specifically play by play so football or basketball I could choose yeah it's mix and match here all right number one and he does both football and basketball for at the college level mostly really just basketball but my man Ian Eagle I just love him I love the combination of him and bill raftery um he just he's not maybe the most famous one but he's iconic to me number two for me much more iconic and that's gus johnson jim nance number three he is also basically an icon he does nfl football he does college basketball march madness the biggest games and obviously the final four national championship and does the PGA championship. <laughs> yeah, we, we've talked about that before, how Jim Nance could get the golf voice and the March Madness voice in the same person. Got to be like like the most versatile announcer I've ever heard. Absolutely. Number four, and this one is more of an up-and-coming guy. I'm going to go with Adam Amin. Um, he was... I heard him doing baseball last night, which really reminds me about him, but he just brings so much energy and hype to the, to the football college football games. He used to work for the ACC network. Then he took a bigger job. I'm very devastated about ACC network losing him because him doing a primetime football game between Virginia and Pittsburgh was just great, but he's got better things to do now. And then number five, I mean, I can't leave him off the list. So Kevin Harlan, of course, even though he's, He's more of an NBA guy, but for college, definitely want to go with him too. Yeah, it's a good list. A lot of guys could, could kind of, you know, go in and out there, but yeah, that's some rock solid list. All right. I'm going to give you you now this one. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you this one first. So top five, most likely ACC men's basketball winners. So you're not necessarily giving your top five teams, but just, Top five most likely to finish number one. So next year, right? So for one, I'm going to go with Florida State. We've talked a lot about Leonard Hamilton and getting to that next level. We also talked about how he's he's now got that system where he can kind of, you know, swap players in and out, even though he's going to lose guys like Scotty Barnes to the NFL or NFL NBA. He's got guys coming right behind him that and that are going to mix and match and and be tough to to um match up with and i I have them at number one number two i have duke and duke kind of fell flat this past year i think not having fans at cameron kind of reared its head uh but they have a you know obviously a 
huge recruiting class, and we've talked about them being in the top 10, top five. I'm sure that's going to be the case again. So I got them in number two. Number three, I got Virginia Tech. You know, they, they kind of came on last year. I know they had a bunch of COVID hiccups, which really disrupted their season. But I have them as, as, as my number three team. I think they can do some do some good things next year. I, I, I'd be excited if, you know, I was a Hokies fan. Number four, Virginia. I, you know, Tony Bennett's team's always going to be tough on D. I was going to be there. They are losing a lot when they lose guys like Hauser and Huff. Uh, but I think, you know, with that pack line defense, they're going to be basically in every game. And then five, I'm actually going to go with maybe a little controversial here. I'm going to go with Syracuse. And, you know, Buddy Bayheim is coming back. His brother, Jimmy Bayheim is going to be transferring to Syracuse from Cornell. It just brings us one step closer to our dream scenario of five Bayheim starting and they're being coached by a Bayheim. I'm sure, I mean, Syracuse fans would love that. <laughs> a fan of all the other 14 ACC schools, not so much. I get so <laughs> much Bayheim complaints on my timeline in my mentions. It's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I, I don't disagree with your one through four and then five, you kind of insert anybody. Maybe yeah. I would have said Notre Dame because they're high ceiling on offense. Obviously. Yeah. Notre Dame was, and you know, maybe UNC depending on how it shakes out, if Baycott comes back or not. So um, we'll see, but for your next top five, what about the top five X factors in football next year? All right. So the way I answered this question, so an X factor, I mean, you could define it in a number of different ways. My way of defining it was you, you could say, their presence and whether or not they are good will have a drastic effect on their team. So that's why I had number one and number two, the quarterbacks coming back from injury, the X factor quarterbacks. And that would be DR King, number one and Mackenzie Milton, number two, both were phenoms when they played, both are coming off devastating injuries, Milton, even more so than DR King, but DR King has also done it twice. So, We'll really have to see how good they will be in order to lead their team to success. Because I, like I said, Miami does have now quality backups, but they're not going getting to their ceiling with um, without the King. Number three, I'm going to go with my man Keytre Clark from Louisville, the corner, because. Louisville's secondary has struggled a lot, but I actually had him rank my top cornerback in the ACC this year. Number four, Nick Jackson from UVA. So UVA has always had this great linebacking core under Bronco Mendenhall. And Nick Jackson is going to be the next leader. He was even perhaps their best player last year, but more people were talking about Charles Snowden. Well, Snowden is gone. Nick Jackson is the man. And then number five, I'm going to go with Zay Flowers from Boston College just because he's going to be their guy at wide receiver. They are losing Hunter Long, obviously. Also, it would be nice if Jalen Gill, the Ohio State transfer, came along. And I know he's been getting hyped up a lot in spring camp. So with those two, Boston College will be dangerous on offense next year. Yeah, good list. I mean, hey, speaking of, Florida State versus Miami. There we go. Top two on the list, right? 
Yeah. And and Zay Flowers is a great pick. You know, I'm on the Jerkovic uh, fan train, so I'm all for that pick. Zay Flowers is going to have to be his guy, yeah. All right, my next one to you. This is a, this is a pretty interesting one. I've heard this conversation brought up before, but I haven't really thought of a resolution to it yet, so I'm going to ask you. Next college football title winners doesn't obviously not just limited to the ACC, but next college football title winners that have not won a championship this century. So since 2000, they've not won a national championship. Okay. So most likely to win a championship out of the people that have, or out of the teams that haven't won this, this century. And it doesn't have to necessarily be next year, just the next couple yeah. of bunch of years. Yeah. Uh, well, number one, I mean, I know, you know, and people on Twitter lord this over uh, them as their fans as well. Number one, I'm going to have to say Georgia. They always have a, a talented team. I don't necessarily know that Kirby Smart is going to get the job done, but talent rich state in the Southeast. Um, if they, if, you know, Nick Saban retires, somebody's got to take the mantle and somebody's got to, going to compete for a title so why not georgia for number two i'm actually going to go out west uh, with our guy mario cristobal and go with oregon you know oregon um they had a run under chip kelly kind of got to national prominence and then kind of fell back to earth to earth but now i kind of like the the stuff that coach cristobal's doing and i also you know if they can run the table and they don't play in a terribly difficult conference then they're going to be right there they're going to be right there for in the uh playoff picture and then that's all you know win a couple more games and you got it so number two i'm going oregon number three i'm going to go michigan now again at, to reiterate what you've already said we're not saying it's going to happen next year we're not saying it's going to happen the year after that but you know and it might not happen with hardball i don't know if he I don't know if he, he can adapt well enough to this the college, even though he had success at Stanford. I don't it doesn't seem like he's kind of adapting to the being more of a passing um, sport now. But if you just look at tradition and facilities and money from the you know boosters and, and, and all these things, you gotta put Michigan up there. For number four, I'm gonna do, you know kind of working on that same Michigan umbrella, I'm going to put Notre Dame, you know, the tradition, they have their own network and NBC, you know, the, the facilities, the, all of the legends that have come there before them. And yes, every time they seemingly get to the playoffs, they get annihilated, but we're not saying, are they going to win? Just saying this would be the kind of a team that, is the most likely that hasn't won it since the year 2000. And then number five, I'm going to maybe a little bit of ACC bias here. I don't know. I'm going to say UNC. You know, we've talked about Mac Brown, and maybe this is the year of defeating Father Time. So put UNC up there. They kind of had a, a renaissance. You know, when Mac Brown went, was there the first time, they were a top five team. And he left and went to Texas. Now he's back. Maybe he could do it again so 
24-7 has this thing called the blue chip criteria. I don't know if you've heard of this, but in order to win a national championship or be even like quote unquote eligible to actually compete for a national title, as far as talent is concerned, they have the blue chip criteria is basically this. You have to win most, if not all of your games. And in order to do that, your recruiting class has to be greater than 50% four stars and five stars. So more, so if you add up your four star and five star total, they have to be more than your three stars. And that, it has to be that way for, was it four consecutive seasons? And I think the only one on your list, the only one that hasn't won a national title yet is Georgia. So Hmm. that's something interesting. So that's obviously a good pick for number one. They definitely have the talent in order to do so. Hmm. That's kind of cool. How about this? Um, we, you know, we talked about, we've been talking a little bit about football, a little bit about basketball. Give me your top five ACC sports to watch. So we are bringing up Olympic sports on the pipeline ACC podcast, really for the first time. So I like that question. <laughs> I was debating actually putting ACC football number one over ACC basketball, but that would be a little bit of a personal bias because I love ACC football more than anything, but I think basketball is more fun to watch. It's much more iconic in the ACC and it's much closer in terms of who wins the ACC on a yearly basis. So basketball, number one, football, number two, baseball, which is kind of like the third revenue sport for a couple of schools. It's the third highest revenue sport for, most schools so baseball we got the ACC tournament coming up this week it'll be a lot of fun number four I'm gonna say lacrosse not a lot of ACC schools schools have it but about half of them do and I'll tell you what I mean of the school ACC schools that do have lacrosse they dominate the country I mean it is crazy number five I'm gonna say women's basketball because it's just, I mean, it's another sport that the ACC is great at. They're much more dominant in the women's respect than the men's respect in recent history. And, I mean, NC State, Louisville, a couple of teams that have had a little bit of disappointment in, in the men's side recently, but their women's teams have done really well and have had some big wins. I can't forget about Notre Dame. I mean, they won a national title in the last five years. So women's basketball, maybe I put that over lacrosse, but I just love the fact of how ACC dominant lacrosse is. Plus it's one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite sport besides like the main professional ones in America. So that's what I'm going to go with for my top five ACC sports to watch. Nice. So, yeah, that was pretty fun little segment on our uh, top fives. We are getting over that 30-minute mark. But before we go, I just wanted to mention the article I recently wrote. And, you know, you, Jason, you kind of foreshadowed it about midway through this episode. But Pittsburgh men's basketball head coach Jeff Capel, obviously coming in to the Pittsburgh program after – the he who not be named era and he did I mean there's a plenty of excitement but during Capel's first three seasons they have not really done too well and 
they built up a talent base, but everybody basically has departed, leaving his roster looking like a year zero kind of roster. And does Jeff Capel deserve to have a chance to get another couple years bounce back? Well, that's what I discussed in this article. I'm not really going to spoil anything, but I will drop the link in the description. So I advise you to check it out. It's some good stuff. And yeah, that's what I've got, Jason. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good article. I, I encourage all of our uh, listeners to, to check it out. Breaks down, you know, the kind of highs and lows that, that Jeff Capel has brought along with the program. And, you know, uh, it's just a great read all, all over. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And well, I appreciate the listeners for uh, sending your requests for our top fives and also tuning into this podcast. We appreciate you and we'll continue to encourage fan interaction in the future. But until then, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time on the pipeline ACC podcast.